Before we get started, a quick word about our no-ad subscriptions. We're not supported by anyone but you. We don't get Zuckerbucks. We put a lot of effort and money into building a global company, all the way from Ukraine to Taiwan. We bring reporters from around the world the best news you will find anywhere. So please support us with our no-ad subscriptions. Go to the top right of any of our sites, and it'll say subscribe with no ads. There you'll find, for 10 bucks a month, access to all of our sites with no pop-up ads on your phone. People love it. So please support us. We need your help. We really do. It's expensive what we're doing, and we need to grow to save the Republic, and we can't grow without support. So thank you very much. Uh, we are lucky enough to have a very important guest with us today, Steve Favis. Um, Steve has uh, shown a number of very interesting things across the uh, the Internet over the last, uh, what, couple of weeks regarding Maui. So, Steve, thank you for making time for us. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Bill. Really appreciate it. So to get us started, you're going to show some pretty darn interesting stuff. And I think it would help folks to understand just, you know, how did you come to even know how to find this data and, and present it the way you're going to show it to us? Yeah, for sure. For for sure. Yeah. So I, I've been a programmer, a computer programmer. I started learning really young when I was about six years old. My father was visually handicapped and uh, he got he had an obsession in the mid 80s, early 80s. 1984 was when he got our first computer. He was visually handicapped. He was a practicing physician, and he he got really obsessed with with technology and computers. Very hot at the time, basically the '84 era. So he got our first home computer. My brother didn't like um, watching. He I thought all his TV shows were boring. So so my best friend was my computer, and uh, Dad got into programming. So my first programming language was actually Amiga Basic, and it was just reading programming books to, to him basically. No, yeah, nobody, no six-year-old wants to study programming, but I just wanted to help my dad. And, you know, at six years old, you're able to read stuff. So I was reading it and helping him type and, and build the programs and everything. So that was my first exposure to it. But, but the second part of that was games. I was also really into games. Went to college for computer science and uh, started teaching uh, computer science, stuff like that, in, in college as, as a teacher. And I also worked in the game industry for 12 years. So I have a very, very solid uh, programming background, but not only that, but uh, physics and astronomy. I was astronomy. I actually wanted to be an astronomer uh, and, and switching from computer. Computers started becoming boring after a while, so I wanted to become an astronomer. So I was an amateur astronomer um, in, in college. I still considered myself an am amateur astronomer, basically. So that that's kind of my, my technical background, but also my technological innovations. I was Intel's uh, 2018 um, top innovator of the year. I'm currently making robots uh, advanced robotics and I, I won some awards for my uh, my robotic designs and developments basically that that's my background wow that's a pretty that's a pretty strong background i <clears throat> you know back in the in the early 80s a lot of people were still getting used to the concept of even having a computer around so that that was pretty early so in the in the last few weeks following what we've seen in maui and the just odd the odd circumstances the odd reactions to what's going on in Maui from the authorities. Um, you know, people have been just begging for more information and by gosh, you've been able to find some. So maybe take us through how you were able to, to begin looking and what you, what you began coming across, please. Yeah, definitely, for sure, yeah. Uh, so when I, when I worked, for, I also worked for Electronic Arts, um, and, but academically, uh, as an exercise in learning and training, they always have you rebuild the, the wheel, basically. And, uh, when you, uh, you, commercial programming is completely different. They don't want you building a wheel when you just get one and throw it on the car, right? <laughs> so you, they want you to produce a viable product as quickly as possible. So 
I knew this intuitively before I went into computer science, but um, yeah, I, it got validated when I worked for a big a corporate uh, company like Electronic Arts. They had a uh, they use game engines. Obviously, they're not building their game engines from scratch or whatnot. They're not they're not manually because they're not rebuilding the wheel. So, so the first question I had was, I I wasn't expecting to find something floating above above Hawaii at the time. I, I just wanted to see the, the fires look really suspicious to me. And I was in the paradise area when it had, when the paradise fire happened. So I was like, something's wrong here. I just paradise, wanted, California. Yeah. Yeah. Paradise, California. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. The paradise yeah. fires were really nasty. And I was maybe about a hundred, 150 miles away from them. And, and the smoke was just nasty. I had to leave the state. I, I, I that was the first time I heard that there was about directed energy weapons or whatnot, or being attacked. I was extremely skeptical of that. I, th I was, I was just thinking it was a natural fire. Now, all I really after Maui happened and I saw the videos and and like cars being melted around grass that's still green and glass being melted and alloy wheels being melted. I was like, yeah, all right, this is this is weird. All I wanted to find out was was there something in space? And uh, I'm not a physicist or a PhD physicist, but I know how to use their tools using programming basically. So what I did was I tried to find the most accurate orbital propagator. And the best orbital propagator that I found was called SDP4, which is a subset of a program called MATLAB. MATLAB is commonly, I was already familiar with MATLAB because all the engineers, all the science nerds use it for stuff like uh, engineering, you know, physics simulations and stuff like that. But they have an orbital propagator in there that's called SDP4. It's extremely accurate within, within a couple minutes of where the satellite would be from telemetry data. So um, I, I also found that NORAD has a has uh, uh, owns a site called space-track.org so space-track.org is actually ran by norad so it's very credible satellite data uh, telemetry data um, orbital mechanics extremely very complex math if somebody were to manually calculate these things i mean it would take literally even a proficient phd physicist whatever would would you know they'd be sitting there all day basically maybe a week to calculate orbital propagations uh, MATLAB is so proficient in basically you just insert the parameters. It's a small file, telemetry file called TLE file. And uh, what happens is NORAD tracks this stuff and they, they update the TLE file every, I think it's every eight hours. I, I just found that out about every eight hours because the orbital satellites may change. It may change your orbits, rotate around or whatnot. So what is it? I found, okay, I was like, okay, I found credible data. This happened maybe within a week or two of the fire. So I started tracking the, the telemetry data and I, I learned how to program in MATLAB. Uh, Within a couple of days, it was a little brutal at first, but I realized that that after I got MATLAB down, I, I, I mean, I'm a multi multi language programmer. I'm not just married to one code. I've been programming with, with different languages all my life. I found out that, we, that I could track one satellite with eight lines of code. I was like, oh, this I'm confident in this. I'm going to publish the source code. Um, so so one there's only eight lines of code per satellite and what happened was i was just kind of hacking through all the satellites that were over the area i only went through 38 satellites and the funny thing is like those you know there's thousands of satellites up there it's true there, there's there's a lot of satellites but you know like 80 percent of them are starlink and then what i was looking for was a weapon that has a lot of batteries it's gonna be a large satellite not only that it's gonna come from a nation that has launch capabilities china america russia they all have launch capabilities and not only that it has, they have to have a massive uh, battery bank in there to power a strong laser that could shoot from space so i did again a physics nerd uh, you know physics astronomy passion i started checking out the, the the math behind it and it turns out that with a 48 ton payload 
the Marsh line of rockets can launch 48 tons, which is huge. I mean, a Tesla uh, car is about maybe five or 6,000 pounds. So you could fa factor in if it just had batteries and a laser with, with satellite power, power, you could you know fit in like four or five Tesla batteries in there. It's a lot of batteries. So the energy did exist, the, the, and this is being validated every day by uh, physicists and engineers on my website. The energy is there that exists with common uh, batteries of today to go into space to power a strong laser. I had first calculated a 20 megawatt laser, which is extraordinarily powerful. But uh, I noticed later on that that China's already zapping stuff with petawatt laser, and and the scale is like it's 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 metric. It goes kilogram uh, kilowatt, which is still strong, like your um uh like your cat toy would be you know un way under a watt. A watt would be would be like eye damaging, you know, causing issues. But when you start going to it goes kilowatt, megawatt. Uh, gigawatt, petawatt, exawatt, zettawatt. And we're today we're already using petawatt lasers right now. And what happened was um, I realized that we we probably had China most likely, if they're already publishing data about a petawatt laser, I was like, okay, well, how much how strong of a laser could they power in space, basically? And what happened was I realized that with um they also used a different technique, it was a Nobel Prize winning. It was a Nobel Prize winning uh, category called chirped pulse amplification, which which would take a 10 watt, 10 megawatt laser and make it up to the gigawatt range with special optics and uh, physics, basically. So I knew that roughly China has access to like 70, at least 70 gigawatt lasers with or without chirp pulse amplification. So everybody's saying, oh, the satellites are too, too high, too far away. No, the physics is there. A 70 gigawatt laser shot from, from space it's not like a burn or a um it's not like a burn or a you know like sunburn or something it's like you're literally almost changing matter instantly basically and it explains why the damages are erratic because the atmosphere is still unpredictable there's turbulence there's distortion there's uh wind all that affects lasers so this is why we're seeing this erratic pattern of 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 uh damage on maui so going back to what I was doing, I said, okay, well, it's the simplest, fastest way I could use an orbital propagator. And again, SDP4 was it. And so I, I once I eliminated the satellites, and these satellites on NORAD are tracked as unknown. So these are satellites, they're not like a payload or a rocket body that's just floating up there. NORAD tracks these, these People's Republic of China satellites as unknown, which made it really suspicious. A large satellite, People's Republic of, of China, unknown so i was like oh this is weird so it only took me 38 to find these these three or four satellites that are up there basically so one one question something you, you just mentioned so you can see from the tracking um from norad that it's people's it's associated with the people's republic of yeah china. these are prc but, people's republic of china satellites uh norad tracks from the launch up it from it going up in space and in the okay. telemetry data people's okay. republic of china they yeah. just don't know what's in it but they know that the, that it, that's where it came from and they're large and they're and they're large okay yes, very good exactly. thank you yes exactly so i mean when you start talk, talking about smaller satellites like starlink satellites that's obviously not suspect you need a lot of energy to push this powerful of a laser up there basically so so what i you know I, I was hoping not to find anything i was hoping oh god i hope this is a wildfire I hope this is a wildfire I hope this is a wildfire and then when i hit one i was like oh, oh crap that's not good and what happened was I realized there's three fires when I was doing this. I was like, oh, crap, there's three fires. And then what happened was I noticed another one passed 
caused a fire and then Enola and Pascan caused another fire at the exact same time as over. So it's like three fire, three fires, three satellites. Way too uh, much, way too much coincidence. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to walk on you. The a lot of people don't realize they know about Lahaina, but they they may not realize that there were other fires on we'll we'll call it the main the the main part of the island, if you will, and they're quite quite separated from Lahaina. So it is interesting that they would occur in in um, in the same similar segment of time, yet um, are separated by miles, you know, between all of these. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and they, they're all on Maui, and all the satellites were above them. And again, if you're running into directed energy weapon or a laser, you're going to want to reduce as much as atmospheric interference as you can. So obviously, you don't want to go if the Earth is here, and you don't want to go at a steep angle. You want to minimize the short the distance between between where the energy weapon is firing from and the the surface of the Earth. You don't want to go at a steep angle. There may be some of an angle depending on orbital mechanics, but you want to reduce that. So there's there was there's three, and I, I did find another one on this. This program is the latest for there, there's there's three, and then there potentially keep could be more out there. Again, I quit after 38. It was it was too it was a little scary. It was too affirming, and um, I just stopped after that. But I I can go backtrack and backpropagate NORAD data to, to investigate other, other fires now, basically. Yeah. Well, you've uh, you put together a way of folks being able to actually see what you found. Should we bring that up and you can start describing a bit of what you were able to locate? Yeah, definitely. Go ahead, load up my screen, okay. and then uh, I'll I'll show you the program. So this is the program. This this runs on Windows. As you see, you interact with it right here. Uh, this is it's it's static right now because I'm not running the satellites. Um, this is the uh, this is Hawaii here. Obviously, I believe Maui's right here. Uh, yep. You can see my mouse probably right. Yes. Yeah. We we can. It's small, okay, but we good. got it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, so this is Maui right here. And if you look to the left here, there's three fires here and I, and you have to, on, the, on the program, if you see my mouse moving down here, the program, uh, only tracks the 24 hour UTC clock because satellites use 24 hour UTC clocks, which is fine. We just have to convert the local time, which is what I did. I converted the local time, the three fires here. For example, the first fire was the Olinda fire. This is at 1047 PM on August 7th. And uh, th th and th this converts to August 8th, 2023, 847 UTC. So I'm going to zoom out on the program here, and I'm going to run this. And the, the pro this program is available downloaded, uh, downloadable on my website, which is now down, <laughs> mrrobots.com, M-I-S-T-E-R-R-O-B-O-T-S.com. I'll, I'll fix it, though. Um, so and if I and so folks have been here. downloading this to, to cross-check uh, what your findings are, yes? Yeah, it's a possibility I could have exceeded my bandwidth limits, which is yeah. possible, but I think Wix would have notified me, but uh, I am getting a, a substantial amount of traffic. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll fix the website now, maybe down at the time, but I'll try to I'll try to fix this as well. So as you can see, if I zoom out here, you can see all the satellites I track. There's, there's only 38 here, right? I mean, these are all the large unknown satellites from NORAD. So you see them orbiting here, you, you, and you can interact. The left mouse button, you can roll around, you see satellites that are going everywhere. Um, and if I, if I play it again, this is this is at 50 speed time, so they're not moving this fast. If I go to uh, real time uh, by clicking the speed dial here, I'm going roughly about uh, almost the, the same speed they would be in real time. So you see how much time they have to 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 engage a target, just dis discharge their weapon. So it's, they have plenty of time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to scrub through here at eight August 8th, 2023, at 8:47 UTC. So. So right now I'm at eight August eighth, eight 
755. So and I'm going to zoom in on Maui a little bit. And you can see here as we get to 8, 850, 847, 842. So the, already, there's already two satellites above at that time. Um, so you can see that there's, so this one has this, this is the, this, I found a few more since the publication, basically, obviously this is the latest updated program. So you see, if I can move, I can move the position. You can see that they're right over, right over, uh, Hawaii right now. So there's two of them here, 55, 255, which is more at ID another 55, 248. This is right above, uh, at 847. So if I play the video, you can see how much time I'm going to play it in real time. I'm going to rewind it back a little bit. I'm going to play it. I rewind it back a little bit. So you can see the passing happen. I'll read the time out if, if you can't read it. So I'm, I'm going to play it forward now a little bit faster than real time. So now you can see them passing over. So this is 841. I'm going to accelerate it just so we don't burn through too much time. But you can see how much time this is going one time faster than normal speed. You see they're passing over. And right about 847 is about right. 842, 843. Actually, this is the one right here. I'm sorry about that. I made a mistake. This is the one right here. This is 847. This is the one I passed over to 847. That's the direct, that's the direct fire one. This is 56733. This is the one right here. I'm sorry about that. Um, but this is the one right here. And you can see how how exactly that 847 was when it was reported. So give it you know five, 10 minutes for the fire report. You can see the object is right there above, right. directly above. That's optimal firing range. So you can see how close it is to Bally. So, so we'll you go want- to the next one. Go ahead. If if this were you know it, if this were as uh, it it appears perhaps that it was, you'd want it as close to overhead as you could so that it again minimizes the the distance and and in turn minimizes the amount of atmosphere something has to travel through because the atmosphere can what diffuse it or uh, reduce reduce uh, the yeah, energy. There's turbulence. There's blooming. Even if when you take a, a small laser pointer and you and you zap it across the room over a distance, it gets blurry. We have to deal with atmospheric particles, turbulence, air pressure. There's a whole bunch of distortion that happens through the through these things. But the yeah. thing is, they're so high energy, even if they lose 50 to 60% of their energy um, upon discharge, by the time it gets to the surface of the Earth, it's still a significantly yeah. powerful weapon. Now, the other thing I want to mention at this point, too, we're seeing the track and we're seeing that it was in, um, I'll call it the appropriate proximity is there anything that you you see on the tracking that would indicate that there was actually a a discharge, or is that is that something we have to use as sort of circumstantial that it was in the right place? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I can't prove that there is an energy weapon discharge at the time, but mm-hmm. the validation of that is the consequences of the timing of the fires and the and the the non coincidental pass of of the time of the fires. Again, we're at eight. 47 yep. it's right overhead and yep. and uh, so so yeah i obviously can't prove that i have been getting anonymous source videos from people that that witnessed this and i want to scrub the data they're they're very scared they don't want to share their 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 data so i'm i'm scrubbing the data eventually i'll find a way of of showing that data basically so there there is okay. some video that has appeared that is popping up people are contacting me directly so i, I just want to maintain their i just want to i want to kind of head off some of the folks that are going to say oh yeah but you can't prove it right well yeah, you can't prove it, prove there was a discharge, but as, as um, correlation of timing and overpasses in multiple cases begins to stack up, then that would tend to say, well, one coincidence is interesting. Multiple coincidences perhaps has more weight. 
Yeah, not only that, but I, I'm going to try my. I'm still going to analyze this Maui fire. I want the video data I'm getting. I'm going to try up line, lining up the time that this passes over on the timestamp on the video that I'm getting. Because I mean, there was somebody recording this almost right exactly when it was happening. I don't think it was this. This this was. I think the Lahaina fire. I think they they witnessed this Lahaina fire, mm-hmm. and they got it on video from a distance. So I'm still analyzing that data again. I want to scrub the uh, the metadata and and provide um, an anonymity for that person. Good. Yep. So let's go to the next fire. So the next fire is uh, fire number. This is the first one. Was called the Alinda fire. That's the one we're seeing right now. This is the weapon that caused the Alinda fire. The next one's the Lahaina fire. This is the devastating one that killed a lot of people. And uh, this is at 1637 UTC on August 8th. So I'm going to scrub through on August 8th, 1637. All right, so this is the next object. This is the second uh, fire. This is the Lahaina fire. I'm going to play this in real time so you can see this. The time is UTC, 1637 UTC. I'm going to play this in real time just to see how much time this the satellite has to pass. This is going to only 0.23 times faster, which is almost real time. So I'll just accelerate. So this is 1632, and you, again, this is this is this is going passing right now. So I'm going to play it a little bit faster just so we don't have to wait for all of it. This is now 1632, 1633. There yeah, there we go. So the, again, the fire was reported at. Um, 1637 and again it's not nobody's gonna report the fire and it simply happened so right over 1633 so i would guess this fire was caused that started the energy was discharged maybe 1630 30 or something like that and then it took for several minutes to report the fire but you see here this is this is where it's at right above maui right there you can see the you know zoom out a little bit you can see the altitude of it basically so and the reason just so folks understand the reason the lines move around the way they are we're looking through three-dimensional space yeah yeah, so there can be some of these orbits can be slightly above others and so forth, but that's a it, it, what you're showing with that particular um, satellite at the moment is is actually quite in line with uh, almost directly overhead. Yeah, yeah, it's in line enough basically. Yep. So we'll go through the next one. This is the third fire on August eighth at twenty one thirty UTC. So I think I found an additional one on this since this since I originally reported on this. August 8th, 2130. So I'm going to scrub through the timeline on the bottom here. Um, August 8th at 2130. So we're going to, I'm going to zoom out a little bit so I can track this, but it was a little hard zoom zoomed in. Yep. Um, 2130 is when it was reported. 20. Okay, so we're at 2130 right now. I'm going to zoom out a little bit. I'm going to pull this back a little bit. I'm going to play it so I can see this pat the passes. Oh, actually, we're at 2030, not 2130. Sorry about that. So we're approaching 21. 2110, 2115, 2120. And here's about 2130. This is the one that was always repeatedly passing over. So this is, we're now at 20, 2127. The fire is reported at 2130. So you can see the Passover right there. You can see it right there. And this is mm-hmm. a little faster than real time, just barely, very slightly over. So you can see that's directly over. And and even though it appears to be moving slowly, I think you mentioned earlier, it doesn't, wouldn't take, too long for this to discharge enough energy to cause some of the problems we're seeing yeah yeah absolutely and and it's not a constant laser on it's a burst it's bursting at a very high frequency to reduce not only reduce the uh the battery discharge people at first the engineers were first thing oh if you if you if you blow up the batteries if you discharge all at once of course you will that's why you use computers to control the amount of energy to reduce the batteries heating basically so this is these are very fast pulses maybe a second pulse 
and the, the video data that I've seen so far is, is pulsing every every few seconds. So so um, validating this this thing where it just doesn't discharge the whole battery. Even a pulse is still instantly causing instant damage enough to heat up and cause fires and cause some exotic properties to happen. So again, we're at twenty one thirty. About twenty one thirty is right here. So after the fire starts, the damage is done. You know, within a couple minutes, somebody reports it. You know, and you know twenty one thirty. It's right. You know, within a couple of minutes it's still you know, i mean that's only within two or three minutes difference basically so yep so folks on the ground if if in fact they happen to be looking in the right direction would they actually see anything potentially or would this be is the energy potentially invisible um, yeah I've that's a good question about different um different wavelengths and so forth and so i wanted to get your opinion on on that yeah, definitely. I, I don't think these are microwave attacks. Uh, at these altitudes, I don't, I don't, I don't. I think I'm pretty sure microwaves would dissipate throughout the atmosphere. I've isolated it to the near spectrum, which is near infrared. Basically, near infrared is is the ideal uh, wavelength to use. And and there is a reaction, a strange reaction with with blue. So blue doesn't seem to get burnt from near infrared. Basically, all of the, all the colors, colors will, but blue won't. So blue is kind of would be a, a countermeasure if, if anybody is, yeah. is wants to protect themselves from yeah. this near infrared, basically. So um, I, I may populate in some of the pictures that uh, others have shared with, uh, I think there's some Tommy Bahama uh, uh, umbrellas still yeah, standing yeah. intact. I mean, it's canvas. You would think that that, that would have been one of the first things to burn. Very, up. They're very bright blue. Flammable. Sorry. Yeah, they're they're bright blue and still standing there. And then um, I believe it was a gentleman by the name of Jeff Cygnus. He goes by that at least on Twitter. On uh, Twitter, and spotted out in Front Street a blue car, one of the few that is not burned down to bare metal and charred. Um, and I think he talks about another one. So there's been some instances of of, of blue um, um, materials that have been you know, left alone or, or at least burned less perhaps by the heat of the surrounding, uh, cars and materials. Yeah. Would, so I've isolated to near and that coincides with my speculation that a near infrared was used basically. And you cannot visibly see a near infrared, um, being basic. You can see it hitting, uh, uh, something and you could feel it if it's burning you, but you cannot visibly see it. But according to the videos that I'm looking up now, um, I want to know if there's some sort of distortion or uh, um, changes that are causing flashes or whatnot. It could be from the ground or whatnot, from when it's reacting with the ground. But I'm doing some now research on on the on the videos that uh, that were given to me from anonymous sources, basically. So yeah. there was something that was flashing, but I don't know if it was from the ground or from the from the actual atmosphere. So from yeah, what I'm seeing, it's near infrared. So. I understand. Would there be any other um, things that people would remember or experience? Would there be, I don't know, a, a interesting or, or odd smell or something or any other characteristics that they might have noticed? Yeah, yeah. So there, there's a random effect to it. I think what, what's happening is it's kind of more, instead of it being a laser beam beam or like a rifle fire where it just hits one thing, I think what we're seeing is kind of a shotgun scattering like shotgun shot shotgun the equivalent of shotgun being being strewn about so there's gonna be random stuff that's gonna get burnt i keep on hearing about people saying oh there's a catalyst or some sort of chemical that was dropped beforehand i don't think we even really need that for this much of this amount of laser energy i think the damage that we see is literally um, all it really takes to cause um this this type of fire and this type of damage and again we're changing matter almost instantly it's like we're igniting it instantly past the ignition point 
So again, people keep on talking about like, oh, maybe they kidnapped the kids and took the kids or whatnot. Honestly, I hate to be morbid. I think they're they're just unrecognizable carbon right now, unfortunately. Mm. There were there were pictures and this is gonna get a little graphic. So if you have kids in the room, you might want to step back. The there were pictures on one of the videos that I've seen, maybe more than one, of animals, a couple of them left in the street, simply, I mean, they they're fully intact. Yet they're, they're they they appear to be charcoal, um, and uh, they appear to be be killed instantly. I, I assume. Hopefully, they didn't suffer. But I mean, it wasn't that they they turned into ash. And one of the things that I found surprising was uh, many of the homes ended up to be ash. And yet here's a here's a living creature that seems to have been, um, you know, just turned into charcoal, but still whole. Is, would that be consistent of this chart of the shotgun kind of yeah. scenario you're describing? Yeah, absolutely. Just imagine the shotgun. Not every pellet is going to have the same energy. So some some of the hyper focused energy or the the strong energy, uh, the stuff that turns into carbon right away, and uh, that could definitely be a result of more energy passing through. And then the the dog, for example, getting killed, but in instantly. And you know, if dogs are in pain, they normally run away. So this dog. I've seen some dogs too, and they were definitely killed instantly. They weren't trying to run away or hide anything. Normally, they'll try to hide or go to their owner or something. But it's really sad. But these dogs definitely, um, uh, they they might have been hit with less energy as some of this play, some of these things like the cars that were zapped and you know the engine blocks crumbling and stuff. So yeah. 